Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. For now, the podcast is mostly ad-free, and I sure would like to keep it that way. You can help me out with that by becoming a supporting listener. If you find value in the podcast, there's a link in the show notes page that will enable you to contribute to my work and to help keep the podcast going and keep it light on advertising. Contributions start as low as $0.99 per month, with two other brackets at $4.99 per month or $9.99 per month. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I've also set up a Cash App profile for the show. One-time contributions can be sent through Cash App to the show's cash tag, which is $MrJeffersonian, and all of this information will be listed in the show notes page as well. Any contribution amounts help, and thank you in advance to anyone who chooses to pitch in. And if you like the show, then please be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications for it. We are now available on all major podcast platforms. And to help the show grow, make sure to share it with your friends and family. And other show-related news, if there's a topic you'd like for me to cover, or if you just have general questions for me, I can be contacted at the show's email address, which is mrjeffersonian at outlook.com, or through the show's MeWe group, which is also titled The Jeffersonian Tradition. And if you're not on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. If you're not familiar with MeWe's platform, contacts are the same as being friends on Facebook. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. So today we're going to talk about some alternate strategies versus relying on defined benefit plans or pensions. Uh, Real quick before we move forward, again, I want to thank the audience so much. So I'm recording this on Thursday. On Tuesday, we achieved 68 plays for the day. That that is the highest so far. So last week, the highest was 30. Uh, This week, we actually got up to 68 in a single day. So thank you all so much for sharing the show. Uh, Please continue to do so, and let's go ahead and move forward. So as always, we're going to start with a recap. So on the last episode, we talked about the nuts and bolts of Colorado's public pension system, which is called PARA. In discussing PARA, we unveiled how the beneficiary doesn't have true ownership rights of the money once their contribution is taken. And we also talked about the fund being essentially operated as a Ponzi scheme. And that's primarily because it bets the stock market is never going to decrease and newer participants must pay higher amounts into the fund to cover previous participants. One other thing I want to touch on is that given we did a breakdown on Para's asset allocation and discovered they alone are putting billions into the stock market every year, what sort of impact does that have on market valuations when we consider the other 49 states are investing in a similar fashion? And uh, especially when you think about the larger states like Texas, New York, California, Florida. So it's, um, it, it is interesting to think about, like, will the stock market ever be allowed to correct? Because you're, you're going to have just, just a disaster with that. I mean, Texas, I was actually looking at some of their numbers. Texas, just in their teacher's retirement system, has over 1.6 million participants. So it's unbelievable um, how much of an impact these pension funds may have on the stock market valuations that we're seeing. So just food for thought there. Because as the old adage goes, the higher the risk, the higher the reward. 
So again, these, these funds are not sitting there holding safe assets and they are not safe havens by any stretch of the imagination. They are pouring billions upon billions into the stock market. So we're going to go ahead and move forward. And today we're going to discuss defined contribution plans, also known as 401ks, 403bs, 457s, etc. And this is the third and final episode of our recent retirement series in which we have explored defined benefit plans and their inherent structural po- problems. Today, we break down the ways that 401k plans provide better benefits to individuals along with lowering financial burdens on the employer. All right, so we're going to start by looking at the background of 401k plans. So they were created by the Revenue Act of 1978, which gave employees a tax-free way to defer compensation from bonuses or stock options. This new law took effect on January 1st, 1980. They were originally pitched as part of a three-legged stool, which would help workers supplement Social Security and traditional company pensions. Over time, they became the primary retirement vehicles for companies to offer their employees. And this is a point that makes many workers, especially regressive ones or progressive, however you want to call them, I say regressive, uh, they like to hammer on this, and they say that 401k style plans are just another way for employers to cheap out and screw over the employees. Personally, I, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, this type of plan, essentially all it does is it does set the expectation with the individual that they will be gasp, responsible, and safe for their own retirement. And from my point of view, the day you walk out of an employer's door for the last time, they no longer have any sort of obligation to you. So you're not making a salary from them. You're not providing any labor for them. They, they don't owe you anything. So it, to me, it's, it's just kind of a backwards mentality to think that an employer owes you something in retirement. That's, that's just not the case. It's up to you to save for yourself. Now, 401ks also transferred the investment risk and savings prerogative directly to the employee, which dramatically lowered costs incurred by the company. And again, a lot of people want to end the conversation right here and say, we'll see 401ks are already worse than pensions. But as we will uncover throughout this episode, that's just simply not the case. So how do they work? How do 401k plans work? Well, the employee is either automatically enrolled or given the option during their onboarding process. Automatic enrollment greatly improves participation rates. Um, That's probably self-explanatory. But many employers offer a matching contribution up to a certain percentage. According to CNBC.com, the average 401k match in the U.S. is 4.3%, which means the average employee can sock away 8.6% of their annual salary just through the company 401k plan. And in addition to this, they can use IRA plans to save even more. So, if, you know, if you want to make sure that you have an adequate nest egg, Dave Ramsey, if, if y'all are fans of his, uh, his recommendation is that you put away at least 15% of your income towards investment. So just by taking advantage of a somewhat small match of 4.3%, you got 8.6% through the company 401k. You can do roughly another 7% to an IRA. Boom, you're good. And then you can start allocating your remaining money into different types of assets like real estate, uh, precious metals, cryptos, whatever you want to do. So they give you a lot of flexibility and you get some pretty good benefit just again by at least doing as much as possible or I'm sorry excuse me not as much as possible but as much as it takes to get the company match. Employees are 100% vested in their personal contributions from day one so if you put in 7% from day one that is yours that portion of the fund is yours. 
And employers will have vesting schedules that will determine when employees are entitled to keep the company contributions made to the accounts. And for the private sector, this is not to exceed a six-year period. And a common, uh, excuse me, a common vesting period is typically one to two years, although employers can also employ a graded vesting schedule in which the employee vests a little bit more for each year of service, up to 100%, and again, not to exceed six years. And then there's another less common type of vesting known as clip vesting. This means the percentage for being vested is all or nothing, but again, not to exceed six years. So I, I've seen some. So clip vesting would technically be if you have to wait one year to, to be vested in the company match, that's technically a, a clip vesting schedule. But what I mean by this is there, there are some companies out there, you got to be there for like anywhere from three to five years and you don't get anything as far as a match during that span but once you start getting your match then boom you're 100 percent invested so I, I haven't seen that one too much uh, the companies i've worked for typically it, it's been a one-year uh, vesting period actually the company i just left you started getting your match right away but you weren't actually vested in it until the end of two years of service and many companies also offer both traditional and Roth 401k plans. In traditional plans, the account holder can deduct contributions from their taxable income now, but must pay taxes on it at retirement. With Roth plans, the employee cannot deduct contributions, but investments are allowed to grow tax-free. And this is not legal financial advice, but a good rule of thumb is if you make less than roughly $100,000 a year, the Roth account will, will be the better vehicle for you. These vehicles are designed for rapid accumulation when compared to other retirement vehicles such as IRAs. And what I mean by this is that the contribution limits for 401k plans are way higher than contribution limits for most types of IRAs. So in 2021, the under age 50 limit for 401k contributions is $19,500. And for individual IRA plans, it is only at $6,000. And because the employer match um, is offered at many companies, your 401k savings can be extremely turbocharged. So uh, not to divulge too much information about myself, but with the company I work for uh, most recently, I was there for almost five years. I was there. I, I actually know. You know what? I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. June 2017 to June 2021. Oh, OK. Actually, I'm sorry. I was there for four years. And in that four-year span, by the time I left, I actually had about 52 grand sitting in my 401k. So, I mean, now granted, that employer had a very generous matching program. But point being, because they give you a match, you can really take advantage of that and rapidly accumulate a nest egg for yourself to enjoy during your golden years. Companies will typically choose a preferred plan administrator. Uh, so this is somewhat like the state, but it's not the the actual granting of a monopoly so as we discussed with para they were literally chartered by the state to be the sole provider of financial services for their state employees uh, whereas with a private employer typically they're going to pick an administrator um, it can be a brokerage house like fidelity t row price um, great northern trust company uh, there's a lot of them out there, a lot of them out there. Actually, Wells Fargo used to, used to do theirs in-house. Um, I, I used to work at Wells Fargo, so they, at once upon a time, Wells Fargo actually did their own in-house servicing of their 401ks, but I think during their scandal, they, they may have had to break that up a little bit. So lots of different options for administrators out there, but typically your company is going to pick one, and, and that's going to be who services all of the 401ks for that company's employees. 
And they're going to offer a curated list of investment options. Typically, these are going to be a mix of target date and index funds. Uh, so target date funds, basically, they're going to ask you, were you born in this 10-year stretch, this 10-year stretch, so on and so forth, maybe five-year stretch. And they will automatically, like if you put money in there, um, they'll automatically adjust your investments over time. You, it, it's a very hands-off type of investment. And then index funds, they're going to pick a certain index. So you'll have one maybe that just tracks to the S&P 500. You'll have one maybe that tracks to the Dow, uh, NASDAQ, whatever, Russell 2000. And they're very also hands-off funds. And they typically are designed to just mirror the performance of the underlying index. And those are very cheap in, in terms of like how much you pay to uh, invest in them. Their, their expense ratios are very cheap, very, very cheap. Vanguard has actually made a, a, a killing on this, or that's where they've made their name. And personally, I've never seen any sort of defined contribution plan or 401k offer access for investing in individual stocks. That's not to say that there are not some that exist, but I, I've never encountered them. So typically, once you pick the administrator, the administrator is going to say, okay, what investments do you want your employees to have access to? Company picks the list, and then you, you get to determine your, uh, your risk tolerance there because they'll have bond funds and all that stuff too. Now, for tax purposes, the portion of the balance provided via the employer match is going to be considered basically a traditional account, whereas the employee contributions can grow tax-free if they elect for the Roth style account. So what, what that means is if even if you choose a Roth account, uh, if your employer gives you a match, their portion is still going to be considered taxable when the time comes versus your, your half of that is going to be considered you know a, a true Roth style setup. And if these funds are tapped before age 59 and a half, the person is going to be subject to a 10% penalty plus relevant income tax on the amount withdrawn. But what are the advantages? So employees, first and foremost, have real ownership rights over the funds, and therefore these accounts are portable. So if you leave one job for another, you'll have some options in what you do with that money. You can leave it well, in most cases there are some companies who won't let you do this but in most cases you can leave it with your previous employer or, or with the previous administrator and just let it grow from there now you won't be able to make additional contributions to it or you can roll it into an IRA uh, or in many cases you can roll it over to your new employer so if you know if you don't necessarily care about your cost basis you can liquidate that previous 401k, roll it over into your new company's 401k, and then just pick up right where you left off. So lots of flexibility there. Now, these types of accounts, you can also take loans against them. Uh, so they can have loans taken out to purchase other assets, such as homes. And that's that's something I see, like if you go on YouTube, there are a lot of financial channels that they'll actually really cheerlead for this trip or excuse me i'm sorry not for this trip but for this strategy and i'm not a fan of it but i do understand why they do it so basically they say once you build up let's say maybe like a hundred thousand in your 401k boom tap it take out a loan against it go buy a house start using it for rental income and then just pay yourself back in the 401k the reason I don't like that is because you're constantly destroying your cost basis. So if you liquidate, uh, let's say every time you get a hundred thousand, if you take a loan against it, and, and in most cases you're gonna, actually going to be capped. I think um, the company I just left, you couldn't take more than fifty thousand. But anyway, if you continuously do that and you're continuously destroying your cost basis, you you really are destroying the number one thing that that matters there, which is the time value of money, because you're 
again, you're, you're consistently liquidating your investments and then buying back at least over the past 10 years at a higher price than, than what you originally bought it for. So another reason it's not desirable to do this, in my opinion, is because in a perfect world, your 401k is there solely for when you get ready to retire. Now, granted, over time, this can tie up a huge amount of your capital because, you know, obviously, if you're putting, let's say, 200 bucks every paycheck into it, 100 bucks, whatever, um, you're going to have a significant nest egg there, especially if it doesn't get touched. Let's say if you start at age 25 and you stop at age 60, you, you most likely, unless there's some severe economic meltdowns, you will have well over a million dollars. In some cases, you may even, may even have up to about three or four million. But... Uh, you know, that's a significant chunk of capital. I realize that. And, and it's, you know, for some people, it's like, I'd rather put that money to use in other ways. But again, that money is there for when you get into your golden years. So you don't have to worry on relying on social insecurity or anything else to float you. So think of it basically as your ultimate rainy day fund. And if you do want to dabble in real estate, I, I support that. Um, the house I live in, I actually would love to at some point start renting it out because we we bought it before Colorado real estate just really went through the roof. So I would love to rent this house out. But at the same time, I do realize this, the assets I have set aside for retirement, that's what they are there for. They're not here for me to start taking gambles in, in the real estate market. So if you want to dabble in real estate, again, I fully support that, but the preferred route would be start setting aside money either in a regular brokerage account or in a savings account and use that money instead to make your down payment. Uh, if you can find one that needs to be fixed up it, that you can get for relatively cheap, that's also a good strategy. So I support it. J just do it the right way. Don't, don't raid your retirement to take a, a short-term gamble. All right. And then what are some common complaints against 401ks? Undoubtedly, the, the one I've encountered most is that the fees are so high that they rob account holders of a high amount of wealth over time. Now, as we talked about last week, or excuse me, last episode, the average all-in fee for U.S. for United States 401k plans is 0.45%. And that means that account holders pay roughly $4.50 per every $1,000 under management. And again, as we talked about last episode, this means if mutual fund A had a real return of 16%, the fee adjusted return would be 15.55%. These fees are not shady or greedy. The investment company is providing you with access to a platform you otherwise wouldn't have had. And they also have employees of their own that need to be paid. And, and I'm all for everybody making a living off of this as, you know, as long as I'm getting a positive return, uh, which that... You know, that, that could be something if you ever had a negative year, it's like, okay, well, they're still getting their fee anyway, they, they being the uh, brokerage house. But again, you're paying for a service. So even then, I, I don't begrudge them that. I'm paying them for a service. They have digital infrastructure to maintain, so on and so forth, employees to pay benefits to cover all that good stuff. But another common complaint that I get is that 401ks expose employees to insanely high market risk and offer no guarantees for employee retirement pay. But again, as we talked about last episode, Para is holding over 58% of their portfolio in global equity, along with significant portions in real estate and private equity. So the only air quotes guarantee they can provide is the guarantee to raise taxes or go deeper into debt, which would be stealing money from future generations to cover investment return shortfalls. 
And 401ks actually empower the account holder to determine their own level of risk tolerance. So if the individual is not comfortable holding 50% or more of their assets and stocks, they have the ability to change their asset allocation however frequently they'd like. Pension participants don't get this option as all investments are managed by their board of trustees without any direct input from them. And specifically for the guaranteed income complaints, employees covered by 401ks will have the option to purchase private annuity plans when they get closer to retirement. Annuities are private insurance plans that offer a guaranteed lifetime payout, so the policyholder never runs out of money. Based on a quote I did online for a hypothetical 65-year-old, they could gen- or excuse me, they could guarantee themselves $1,000 a month for an upfront cost of $217,000, and we'll dig deeper into these numbers a little bit later in the episode. So let's do a comparison between Jane, who has a 401k, and John, who is a para-participant. And just as a disclaimer, the numbers I use are based on averages, so please don't think I'm trying to say this will be the outcome in every single case. This Again, this is just kind of like an average rule of thumb. What, what can we expect? So private sector Jane started her professional life at age 25, and she started off making $40,100 per year. Jane averaged 3% annual pay raises until she retired at age 65, and throughout her work and life, she always contributed at least 7% out of her own pocket and got a 4% 401k match from the employer, regardless of what company she was working for at that time. Assuming an annual rate of return of 7.75%, which is the actuarial number that Perry used in 2019, that's what they expected on their investments was 7.75%, So using that number, Jane would enter retirement with a 401k balance of $1,643,245. If Jane wants to plan on having enough money to last her until age 95, she could pay herself a monthly income of $4,564.57. Now, recall a few moments ago when I said one could obtain an annuity that provides a monthly income of $1,000 for a one-time cost of $217,000. So let's say if Jane does this, that leaves her with a remaining principal balance of $1,426,245. If she wanted this portion of her retirement savings to last for 30 years, she could pay herself a monthly income of $3,961.79 and then have the annuity pay an additional $1,000 a month, which would bring her total monthly income up to $4,961.79. And just for comparison's sake, in 2020, Para's average monthly payout was only $3,204 per month. Now, let's look at John, who is a covered Para participant. John started working for the Denver Public School System as a science teacher at age 28 and decided to retire at age 59. Recall from our previous episode that Denver Public School employees must contribute a mandatory 11% of their salary into PARA as of 2021. That's four percentage points higher than Jane's voluntary contribution of 7%. John's highest three-year average salary came out to $60,000. Under PARA's benefit calculation scheme, John would be eligible for monthly payments of $4,250, allegedly for as long as he lives, which is assuming that the pension is able to stay solvent that long. As we can see, Jane is better off in this scenario by $8,541.48 per year. 
Now, para-recipients do periodically receive COLA increases, but typically these are going to be 1% or less, so it would take several years for John to catch up with Jane. And with that, actually, para recently, because they're, they're so far behind schedule on their funding status, they've had a lot of years where they don't actually get any sort of COLA increases. Um, actually, I think the last one they got before 2020 was, I want to say it was in 2017, so, again, it's, it, even with the COLA increases, it's going to take several years for John to catch up with Jane. And Jane would actually have an option to purchase a COLA router in her, in, on her annuity plan, but that's a pretty costly option. So, I, personally, I, I wouldn't do it because, you know, again, I, I'm planning to say, okay, this is roughly how much I can pay myself and I know I should be fine. So, as we can see, um, you get a lot more flexibility and you get better returns over time when you're in control of your funds, at least under our models here that we're looking at. So what we got to remember is it's on us as, as individuals. It truly is. It's on us to save for our retirement. You cannot rely on the state. You cannot rely on any sort of collective pool because again, nobody cares about your money as much as you do. So for closing thoughts, uh, as demonstrated, again, 401ks are a much better option in terms of saving as long as the individual actually takes the initiative to do so. By drastically lowering the amount that employers must keep tied up in retirement costs for people who have already retired, businesses are better able to adapt to the ever-changing landscape that industries face today. And this is a call to action. If you are not already saving in your company's 401k plan, then please make sure that you start contributing at least enough to take advantage of the company match so you aren't leaving free money on the table. And as a final thought, I told y'all in episode one of this series that I'd find out if San Bernardino got a bailout during the pandemic. According to, to taxfoundation.org, they did receive $380,430,899 in quote, federal coronavirus aid, end quote. I was not able to find how they spent that money, but I can tell you this. By the end of fiscal year 2020, their county officials were already hoping for new, quote, emergency funding, end quote, from the general government, according to an article from SB Sun. So, unfortunately, it looks like that $380 million gift from the rest of the country just wasn't quite enough. But thanks again for tuning in. Please remember, if you find value in the podcast, to consider contributing to the show. You can contribute on a recurring basis through the supporting listener link in the show notes page, or you can make a one-time contribution by using the show's cash app information, which is also included in that show notes page. Any contribution amount helps, and thank you again to everyone in advance who decides to do so. Also, please consider downloading the MeWe app and joining the show's private group so we can have more sane discussion around historical and current political issues. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all next time.